Come on, just lift up your hands with me. God, we just say that our hearts burn for you. God, our hearts burn for you. God, you're the living, you're the living God. You're the living God. You know us, God, in and out. You know when we stand, you know when we rise, God. And you've chosen us this weekend, God. You've chosen us from all around the world, God. You've chosen us, Lord God, to be representatives, to be representatives from the nations, Lord. You've chosen us, Lord God, to represent the nations in which we were born and in which we live. You've chosen us, Lord God, even as you did on the day of Pentecost. You chose, Lord God, people from all around the world to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to hear your disciples speaking the wonders of God in their very own tongue. God, today, you've chosen us in that same way. And God, we just declare a release. We declare a release of that fire. We declare a release of your spirit. We say we're going to take what you've given us and we're going to take it home to the nations that you've called us to, Lord God. And we're going to shake this world. We're going to shake this world with the love of God. Father, we worship you. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise. Yo, P.E. Can you bring me my Bible? <laughs> Amen. Is God doing some awesome things or what? Man, we're not going to break this flow. Man, I just worship all night long. Why don't you just look to someone and say, dude, Jesus is heck of legit. Uh, heck of legit. All right, Jesus is mad legit. Heck, that's right. Mm. I hope you're not tired. I want you to turn to your neighbor, slap him heck hard, and say, that's with all the love I got inside of me. That's with the heck of my love. Oh, yeah. Wait, you sure? Yeah, you can show it right now. That's how we roll. Um, I promised y'all something. But we got to hit the lights. I'm going to show you my greater hole. But uh, once that one light gets turned off. Saying, heck of fine, huh? Damn. See, my girl's so hot. Shoot. This projector can't even contain it. See, that's what happens, fellas. See, y'all need to stop trying to chase the ladies, y'all. Just need to focus on Jesus. So that's me and my baby in Cancun. You can go to the right. She was a dancer. That's why she has those pointed toes. Mmm, my sugar. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. She's super light, too. It wasn't even heavy on my back. Uh, you can go. I think there's one more, maybe. Oh, Kaba, yeah, yeah. All right. But that's another one. That's Cancun. God hecka hooked us up to go on a trip. And she's still pointing her toes because she's a dancer. She's so amazing. But that's my baby. She's awesome. I'll share some of the story later. Just grab me after message and time, and I'll share with you how Jesus could hook a brother up. But can we just pray for my wife right now? I just want to pray for her together. Like, I believe God is just releasing her into a whole new level. And she just went to Indonesia, and it was just off the hook. They seen God do miracles. I mean, just awesome. But, Father, I thank you so much for my wife. And I thank you that you made us one. And, Lord, I just speak your blessing and your favor over her. Father, I declare that together you are filling us with your presence in a whole new way, God. We're going to be one in you like we've never had, Lord. And I pray that even though we're distant, Lord God, physically, I pray that the oneness of heart that we have in you, Lord God, would be closer than we've ever experienced in our lives. And Father, I pray for those who are praying for spouses. I just declare patience. Father, I declare faith. For the fellas, I declare favor. God, in Jesus' name. And for the ladies, I pray that you would fix these fellas up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, some of y'all need to start praying right now. Mm. Well, I'm sad this is the last night. Honestly, like, 
I wish I could stay heck along with y'all. I wish I could be here and, and just spend a couple days with you just talking and playing football. Sorry, guys, I'm going to play earlier. Um, all that kind of good stuff. Watching more of your dramas, especially the Korean drama. Like, I really felt like I needed to pay to watch all that stuff. Like, I was like, dude, where's the popcorn at? Like, you know, I was like, oh. Um, it was crazy. But I am just, again, truly honored to be here with you. I am so thankful to God that he just uh, privileged me to be able to travel around the world to be with you, even if it's for a couple days, because I know that these relationships are going to be lasting. Amen. And so find me on Facebook. I would love to stay in touch. I want to hear all the things that God has done this weekend and what he's going to continue to do through your lives. And so please stalk me if you have to. Just kidding, especially if you're women. My wife might get a little scared. So, um, but for real, find me and let's just stay in touch because we're family. Amen. We family, huh? We family, huh? All right. Tonight I want to talk to you about the conformity of God. So we talked about the inconvenience of God, the unpredictability of God. And tonight I want to speak to you about the conformity of God. You know, we had a, a big weekend, week, weekend of sports in the Bay Area. How many of y'all like sports? How many of y'all, sp <laughs> y'all sports heads? How many of y'all like the San Francisco Giants? You know, we're homies for the rest of your life. I don't know you, but we're homies. But I love the Giants. I like the A's too. I grew up in the Bay Area, so you got to love kind of both of those teams. But one thing I can't stand is those bandwagon fans. You know, the people who, like, they're hating on the team, like Raiders fans, you know what I mean? Like, I just pray for all the Raider fans. Are there any Raider fans in here? Good, amen. Oh, what I meant was, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But you know, you know the fans that they don't follow a team, and honestly, I'm kind of in this category. I'm working to get out of it. I mean, it's kind of hard. I got to study up on my teams, right? But you know those fans where it's like they either talk trash about their team, they don't care about the sport, they don't care about the team, and then all of a the sudden, their team's in the playoffs or the World Series or the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals, and they're like, oh, yeah, Texas Rangers, that's my team. I'm like, baby, you don't even know anybody on Texas Rangers, Right? My wife, she was cracking me up because when the Giants play the Rangers in the, in the World Series, she's like, yeah, Rangers, we're going to win. I was like, baby, name one person on the Texas Rangers. I'm from Texas. Texas Rangers are going to win. I'm like, oh, heck of fake. See, what happens with bandwagon fans is they conform, right? They, can, they, see, they see what a real fan looks like, and then they're like, okay, shoot. All right, they're wearing that, so I'm going to wear that. They got that hat on, so I'm going to put that hat on. They're screaming and yelling when this happens, so I'm going to scream and yell when this happens, right? And it, we have a lot of that in Christianity as well. We call them cookie-cutter Christians. You know, it's the Christians that try to look like the other Christians because they're like, oh, that person's living for God. So I want to live like them on the outside, but really my heart is far from that. And what happens is when we look at conformity, a lot of times we see it as a bad thing. We're like, man, don't conform. Don't conform to the people. Don't conform. Be yourself. Do your thing. Do you, right? You be you. Do you, right? Don't conform. In reality, it's like everybody's looking like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? See, I mean, you're still wearing the same thing that people are wearing in different countries. You just don't know it yet. And a lot of times, the conformity, though, is seen as a bad thing. But when I talk about the conformity of God, I'm speaking about not God conforming into your image, and what you think he should be like or what you want him to be like, I'm speaking about you being conformed into the image of God. Now, before you throw stones at me and be like, hey, why are you talking about I'm supposed to look like God? I'm just going to share with you that it's from the Bible. Okay. God has destined you to look like him. God has destined you to look like him. Your purpose in this world is not to do things for God. It's to be like God. Your purpose in this world is not to do things for God, but it's to be like God. And it's to be like God by first being a child of God. Your purpose is to be a son of God, a child of God. We talked a little bit about this in the last session. And we see that Jesus is the one that set this example. Jesus is the one that set this model. But then God also made it plain to Paul 
and to the believers in Rome through Paul that it was God's desire and God's design for every single one of us, all those who would believe in Jesus' name. It was God's design for them to look exactly like Jesus. Romans 8, 28. I shared this verse earlier, and it says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But when you continue that passage in verse 29, it says, For, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, God knew you before you were born. And it was God's design and God's desire that you would look like Jesus even before you were born. It was God's design and God's desire that your life would reflect the life of the Son of God even before you ever took your first breath. And not only that, but it began far beyond even Jesus coming. And it began far beyond you were born, even to the beginning of existence when Scripture says that God looked to the Son and said, let's make man in our image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then it says, in the image and likeness of God, God created them. Humanity was made to look like the God that created them. Humanity was made to look like the Father that formed them and the Father that shaped them. We were made in his image and likeness to rule, first of all. You see, in in Genesis, when they were created, what did God say? He said, I want you to rule over the earth. I want you to take dominion over the earth. The first way that they were made to manifest the image and the glory of God was by their ruling like God. By their taking dominion in the earth like God. By them establishing the rule and the dominion of their God. They were meant to reflect the power and the authority that their God who made them had. And we see in relationship in the same way we were made to be like God. When God says, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? And that's plural. Let us make man in our image. We see that in Christianity as the Trinity, being spoken of the Trinity, how Jesus existed even before creation. Where John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That one who was with God and was God in the beginning, yeah, that one, he became flesh and made, he made his dwelling among us. God became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. That's who the father was speaking to. Who? The son. And he said, let us make man in our image. You see, God destined even before creation that you were meant to look like him. And then he just reiterates it in Romans chapter 8. That's a reminder. Hey, I just want to remind you guys. Because you're fallen and you're in sin. And you totally messed up my image. But it's cool. That's I. I'm going to work it out. I mean, you know, you you ever have someone that like you let them borrow your clothes? And the way they wore them, it was just like, ugh. See, I, I ain't never seen nobody wear no clothes like that. Man, you just jacked that up. I remember being young, and my brother, I mean, like, he, like, he was, like, my hero. One of my brothers, I got, like, 50, right? And so he was, like, my hero. And so all the clothes that he wore, I was just like, man, I want to wear those. Man, it's so legit. But then I would put them on, and they would just be like, you know, the arm is going all the way past my hand. And, like, the pants are, like, you know, I'm— you're just heck a big, right? All that kind of stuff. And I'm wearing them. I'm just like, and he's like, dude, heck no. You can't be wearing my clothes, man. You're messing up my flow. You're messing up my image. And see, that's what sin did. It messed up God's image in humanity. And he's like, man, I got all these perfectly awesome things for you, but you just jacked it up. But that's okay. I sent my son for you. I sent my son to die for you. And not only did I send him to die for you, but I rose him from the dead. Three days later. And then I placed his spirit inside of every single one who would believe to conform them right back into the image that they were meant to live in, to conform them right back into the image that they were destined to walk in, to conform them into the image and likeness of my son, Jesus. Your purpose was to look like God. The way that we love as Christians, it should look like the God kind of love. When you can be in a relationship and somebody hurts you moment after moment, time after time, but yet God tells you to love them and God tells you to forgive them. When you begin to exercise that, you're beginning to walk into the image that you were created to walk in. 
At that moment, you've stepped into the image of God, the image of Jesus. You've allowed the Holy Spirit to come inside you and shift, shift your heart, shift your mind, shift your emotions to begin to be who you truly are. We were meant to look like God in every aspect of our lives. We were meant to look like Jesus. When we think about, well, how should we love? We should look at the Gospels. How did Jesus love? Well, Lord, how many times should I forgive? If my brother sinned seven times, how many times should I forgive them? Uh, seven times seven. Literally saying you keep forgiving no matter how much they sin against you. But hold up. That just ain't right. You know what I'm saying? Because like, but Lord, like, shouldn't I protect myself? How many of you ever thought that? You're in a relationship and you're like, well, why do I keep opening my heart to someone that's just going to hurt me? Because God does. How many times have you messed up with God, but he's constantly opened his heart to you? Yeah, that's what you're meant to look like. That's how you're meant to live. Does that mean that you, you know, try to be buddy-buddy with them all the time? No, not necessarily. Does that mean you go and take them out to eat all the time? No, not necessarily, but if God tells you to, you do. But it's a willingness and a heart of love that's willing to cover over the multitude of sins that those people have committed against you. Because God loves and forgives that way. And you were meant to love like him. You were meant to look like him. Matter of fact, Jesus says you were meant to do even greater things than he did. Pastor Aaron's been talking about how when we're walking in a spiritual heritage, when first we become sons of God, John 1.12 says, he came into the world, but his own did not receive him. He came into that which was his own, speaking of the world that he created, but his own did not receive him. But yet to everyone who received him, he gave them the right to become a son of God. See, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we call ourselves children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. If you're a girl, not me, but you call yourself that. Why? Because you've been given a divine right to be in the family of God. The moment that you believed in Jesus, that that moment you became adopted into God's family by his Holy Spirit. At that moment, rebirth took place in your heart. Whether you felt it or whether you didn't. The true and the reality is that the Spirit of God birthed you into God's family at that very moment. And so when we talk about a spiritual heritage, first we're talking about being sons of God, being children who are reborn and born of God. But two, we're talking about being a spiritual heritage with those who are the fathers of our faith. Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham is the father of faith. Meaning God called him, Abraham responded by faith, and God said, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. So anyone who believes in God, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, Abraham is your ancestor. He is one of your spiritual fathers. That's a biblical reality. And so when we talk about the spiritual heritage of spiritual mothers and fathers, we're speaking of those who God has placed in our lives to walk with us and have even authority in our lives and help us mature in our faith and be examples to us and show us what it means to live in relationship with God, even as we live in relationship with those people. The first example of spiritual mother and father you should have had was in your natural family. God created mother and father to magnify who he is and glorify who he is. But some of us, we just didn't have good mothers and fathers. But tonight, I'm going to release this real quick and I'm going to get to it later. But God is going to use you to restore family. So first was in a natural mother and father. But then God puts spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives to help us mature as sons and daughters of God. In the same way that our mother and father was supposed to exemplify who God is to us. So a spiritual mother and father in our life exemplify who God is supposed to be in our lives and our relationship with him. And we see that when we talk about when Pastor Aaron says, well, the spiritual fathers and mothers that God's placed in our lives, those who've gone in faith before us, those who God has given authority in our lives, those who speak blessing over our lives. She says their ceiling is meant to be our ground floor. She didn't just get that image and get that get that slogan from even our spiritual parents. She got that slogan from Jesus. I don't know if she even knows it. Because Jesus said anyone who believes in me will do what I have been doing. But not only, not that, John 14, 12 says, anyone who believes in me will do what I've been doing. 
But not only that, he will do even greater things than I'm doing because I'm going to the Father. Jesus himself said, my ceiling is meant to be your ground floor. All the miracles that I've done in the Gospels, guess what, disciples? Man, you haven't seen nothing yet. All the healings, all of the miracles, all of the supernatural, the, re- the, de- the dead being raised to life, the blind receiving sight, the mute being able to speak, the deaf being able to hear, the demon possessed being set free. Jesus said, man, y'all haven't seen nothing yet. You wait till the sons and daughters of God are revealed throughout the earth, and then you're going to see something. When we look at scripture and we hear what God has done, we see the works that God has done in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah. When we see what God did in Daniel, what God did in Joshua, when we see what God did in Elisha and Elijah, you know what should happen? Excitement should begin to rise up inside of us. Because we realize that the fathers that went before us, the fathers in our faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, we're surrounded, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race that he set before us. We should be looking at all that God did in the Old Testament and the New Testament and say, man, God's just getting started. That was their ceiling. But guess what? It's our ground floor. That was the beginning. But guess what? There's more in store. Ooh, that was a flow. Mm, get that. In Acts 11, verse 26, the Bible says that the believers in Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. You know why they were first called Christians? Because they allowed Jesus' ceiling to be their ground floor. And what do I mean by that? He rose again from the dead. And then he said they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They believed it and they walked in it. They went to begin to, they began to preach the gospel and begin to see God do signs, wonders, and miracles. And all the people around them looked at those believers. All the people around them looked at those disciples and they're like, dude, these people, shoot, they're conformed into the image of the Son of God. Man, they look like the Christ. They look like he did. I mean, the things they do, they're doing what he did. The way they speak, they're speaking like he spoke. The love that they show, they're showing the love that he showed. The forgiveness that they're releasing into the lives of other people, that's the same kind of forgiveness that that Jesus, the Christ, showed and gave. Man, these are Christians. Literally, that word means little Christ. And it wasn't other believers who get, hey, hey, we're Christians, you know what I'm saying? We're Christians. We look like Jesus, right? They didn't need no bumper sticker to identify who they were. They didn't need no shirt that said, I believe in God. They didn't need to post on Facebook all the miracle signs and wonders that God was doing. Though those things are great. They didn't need to do all those kind of things. You know why? Because they looked like him. They sounded like him. Their life reflected his power. Their life reflected his authority. Their words reflected his words. They saw the way they dealt with people. If you go and read Roman history, if you read Josephus, even Jewish history books during that time, during that first century, you'll see, you'll read the writings where it says these people who followed the way, speaking of believers, these people, man, when their people are sick, they go and visit them. When their people are persecuted by other Romans or other Jews, they go and visit them in prison. They care for their sick. They care for their needy. They take care of the orphans and they take care of the widows. Even the secular people who did not believe in Jesus can look inside and see the way that they live within that community and say, man, they look like Jesus looked. Because they didn't allow, they didn't allow the thought to enter into their head that I can't do greater things. They didn't allow the thought to enter into their head. Man, there's a cap on what God wants to do. They didn't allow the thought to enter into their head. Yeah, those people were holy. Yeah, those people were powerful. Yeah, those were apostles. Yeah, those were disciples. But me, I'm just an ordinary believer. I'm just a regular child of God. They didn't allow that lie to settle in their head or their heart one bit. And what happened was they superseded they superseded everything that was taking place during that era. You know, a lot of us, we want that. Some of us are like, God, I want to go after that. I want to be like that Elisha who had the double anointing. 
But are you willing to serve Elijah the way that Elisha did? Are you willing to follow Elijah the way that Elisha did? See, Jesus, he, Peter said, I'll go with you to death, Lord. Man, ride or die, baby. Shoot. Jesus is like, Peter, you're about to deny me three times. Oh, heck no, nah, Jesus, you tripping. Hey, what'd you eat up in that stuff they gave you? That ghost milk, I told you it was bad. Jesus, I'm going to roll with you hardcore, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is like, look, Peter, can I just keep it real? All right, what's going to happen is they're going to come to take me, and guess what? The rooster's going to crow, and before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, heck no, never, Lord. What happened? They came, rooster crowed, right before he crowed, Peter denied him three times. And what happens sometimes in our lives, we're that same way. When it's like, God, I want the power. I want the authority. I want to walk with all that. But Jesus says, man, can you drink the cup that I'm drinking? Man, I want what Elisha had. I want, I want, man, I want to walk in that double anointing. I want to see miracles, signs, and wonders. But yeah, are you willing to follow Elijah everywhere that he goes? Even when he tells you to stay, are you willing to go out there and be like, no, Lord, no, Master, no, Father. You can't get out of my presence. I ain't leaving you. I'll serve you till the day that I die. And I don't care what people think I look like, what people think I sound like, or what people think I act like. I don't care what they call me, goody two-shoes, father's pet, pastor's pet. I don't care. I'm going to serve you because that's what God's called me to do. And Jesus was saying the same thing. Can you guys drink that cup? Will you follow me anywhere that I go? Because if you can and if you will, my ceiling is going to be your ground floor. If you can and if you will, you're going to do even greater things than I'll do. If you can and if you will, or if you're just willing if you're just willing even, I mean, I love the story in the Bible where the man, Jesus says, do you have faith for me to do this? And he's like, Lord, please help my unbelief. He's like, I want to believe you, God. I want to believe you. Like, I heard people talking about you. And man, I even seen some stuff, but something in my brain just won't let me believe. Lord, can you help my unbelief? I believe sometimes Jesus is just saying, if you're just willing to believe. You may not have the faith mustered up yet, but if you're just willing, shoot, I'm going to do it. Because there's something that God just, just causes his heart to buckle. Me and Pastor John were talking about that the other night. There's just something in God's heart that causes him to buckle, and that's faith. When someone's just willing to step out on a limb, when someone's just willing to take a step of faith, I just really believe God says, man, that's my son. I just can't help but honor that. Are you willing to step up and go to the greater place that God is calling us to go to? Are you willing even to allow Jesus' ceiling to be your ground floor? And to some of you, I know that sounds crazy. But there has to be something inside of us, a holy indignation that says, I want to see the Jesus stuff. I love the story of John Wimber. He was known to, to start the vineyard and a mighty move of God and sign wonders and miracles down in L.A., and when john wimber got saved god radically transformed his life and he went to a church it was a christian church and it was real conservative you know the church where they don't lift their hands in worship the church where no one really prays out loud and i'm not saying that's bad but john wimber went to this church and he went week after week and he's reading the bible god radically changed his life he's reading all these stories about jesus and the miracles the signs and wonders the salvations the deliverances people being raised from the dead and he's like dude this god is real man i want this right so he's reading and then he goes to church and he watches them worship the god who's doing all this stuff and he's like man they're worshiping like god's dead and he goes up to the pastor and he says he grabs the Bible and he, he, he went like humbly. He wasn't like heck of proud, right? But he went humbly and he said, he said, where's all the Jesus stuff? And the pastor was like, what? He's like, you know, the Jesus stuff. Like he didn't know how to talk like Christianese, right? So he's just keeping it real. I don't know what else to call it other than all that stuff Jesus did. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I want to see that. Where's the Jesus stuff? And they were just like, looking at him like he's stupid. There has to be something inside of us as sons and daughters of God that says, I want to see the Jesus stuff. I want to see the Jesus stuff. I want to build on the things that God wants to build upon. I want to see more than has been seen in the future. If Jesus said greater things, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen someone tame a lion the way that Daniel did through prayer. 
I mean, we did a skit and it was funny, but that really happened. Daniel prayed and an angel came and shut the lion's mouth. It really happened. I don't know if you know y'all feeling me, but that junk really happened. I don't know if y'all realize that Moses really lifted up a staff and the Red Sea parted in half. That junk really happened. I don't know if y'all realize, but there was a person that was listening to Paul when he was teaching one night, kind of like I am talking all night long, keeps going and going and going. And dude fell out the window and he was dead. I mean, y'all think I'm born or maybe Pastor Aaron and Pastor Christian are born. This dude, Paul put this dude to sleep. He was going on and on and on. His name is Eutychus. Look him up in the book of Acts. And the Bible says Paul was talking so long, this dude was like, yeah, that's good, Paul. <sighs> he fell out of the window, hit the ground, and died. I mean, talk about tragedy. I mean, how many of y'all want to be in the service? I'm preaching. I preach so much, you die. That'd be pretty jacked up, right? Well, that's what happened. But did Paul freak out? Paul walked down the stairs, grabbed him, said, you to kiss, get up. Breath returned to him, and he was alive. That was gangster. I want to see that. I want to see the Jesus stuff. I'm not satisfied. Something has to stir up inside of us. You know, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, I love this passage. There's the Bible says that the sons of the prophets came to Elisha. And they said, Father, or Elisha, Master, They said, our house is too small. The place that we're living in now, the the things that's happening right now, it's it's too small. Can we go down to the Jordan and take some pools and then begin to build a bigger house? And Elisha said, yeah, go. And they said, okay, cool, but we want you to come with us. Some of us got to be like the sons of the prophets to say, you know what? The place we're living in, it's too small. The things that are happening in our lives right now, they're too small. What God wants to do, it's going to explode throughout these doors. We need to go down to the Jordan and grab some poles. We need to ignite our faith, get some poles in the spirit, and we need to begin to build on the house and not run away from Elisha, the fathers that have gone before us. See, we can look like the sons and get an attitude of pride that they didn't have. A lot of times we can say, well, see, the generation before us, they should have had more faith and believed God to do more things. They should have really fought and contended for unity in the body of Christ. They should have really believed for signs, wonders, and miracles. But you don't see that heart in the sons of the prophets. They just said, hey, what God is doing, man, this house that you built, Elisha, this house that was built here, it's great, but it needs to get bigger. Hey, can we go down and do this? And Elisha said, yeah, go. But they said, man, we don't want to go by ourselves. Elisha, we need you as a spiritual father, as a, as a father in the prophets. We need you to go with us. We can't leave this place without you. We need to take what God has done in your life, Elisha. We need your faith to go with us, and we need to begin to build what God wants to do and expand the way that God wants to expand. Some of us need to rise up like those sons of the prophets and say, man, we need to expand. We need to get ready to step into what God wants to do without leaving the fathers behind and criticizing them and judging them and thinking that what they did was bad or was wrong, but saying, no, we need you too. We need your voice. You know why? Because when they begin to build, one of them borrowed an ax. And you know what happened? He was cutting down a tree because he was broke and he had to borrow an ax. And as he borrowed the ax and cutting down the tree, the top of the ax head flew to flew into the river. And he started freaking out. He's like, dang, I'm about to be shanked. See, because y'all don't understand. When you borrow something back in the day and you don't have money to pay them back, you know what they do? They take you. Yes. You don't got finances? Cool. You'll work it off. You'll come and live in my house and you'll be my slave until you worked off enough of your wages to be able to to pay back what you borrowed. So this prophet is freaking out because he has no money to pay back. And here he is trying to expand the work of God, but he needed the father. And what did Elisha do? I ain't tripping. Give me a stick, throw it in the river. Axe head comes to the top. Bam, let's keep building. There's times we're going to make mistakes as sons. No matter how zealous we are and no matter how divine the appointment is for the building to take place. We're still going to make mistakes. And we need the fathers to say, it's cool. Let me break off a branch real quick, throw it in the river. I'll make sure you're not going to go into slavery because you're a son of the prophets, not a slave of the prophets. 
God wants to build, and there's something inside of us that has to say, God, I want more of it. Because God is a family man, and he's a God of generations. He's a God of generations, and he's a family man. He doesn't care about just winning one family. He doesn't care about just winning one, one person. God is interested in saving whole households. When Paul was in prison with Silas, and they were locked up and persecuted for their faith, the Bible says that they began to worship God, and an earthquake shook the foundations of that place, and the bars opened up, and the jailer was freaked out because he was about to get shanked. I mean, heck of people were about to get shanked in the Bible. And Paul's like, hey, don't freak out. All of us are here. Don't be afraid. All of us are here. Because the jailer knew that if any one of those prisoners escaped, he was going to lose his life. And Paul's like, don't even trip, man. We're all here. We ain't going nowhere. The jailer took Paul and Silas into his home, and he began to care for them. And he's like, man, who's this Jesus you're talking about? What's going on here? Paul said, man, if you believe, you and your whole household will be saved. Paul knew that God was a family man. God's not just interested in one son. He's interested in all the sons. God's a greedy God because it all belongs to him. He wanted that whole family. Cornelius, when he was giving his you know, offerings to the poor and God saw it and God said it was a fragrant offering to him. God sent an angel to, send, to, to tell him to go get Peter and to come and begin to tell him about Jesus. You know what happened when, when Cornelius was there in Peter's presence? Peter came. He began to share the gospel. The spirit of God filled his whole house. You see, Cornelius, he gathered everybody in his house in his sphere of influence. He's like, all y'all got to hear this message. And when God sent Peter to come bring the gospel to Cornelius' house, God didn't tell Peter to go sit with Cornelius in a room and talk to him one-on-one and have an individual faith. Cornelius said, heck nah, if this is real, all my family's about to hear this mess. And his whole family gathered together. And Peter began to preach. And the Spirit of God came and power fell. And they began to speak in new tongues. And all of Peter's household, all of Cornelius' household, even the slaves that were in his house at that time, gave their lives to Christ. Man, we're so petty. We're thinking about one person being saved when God wants to save whole families. We're thinking, okay, God changed my life. That's enough. And God said, no, I want everybody inside of you. I'm interested in rescuing generations. I'm interested in rescuing generations. You know, there was a point in my relationship with my family. It was really crazy. I mean, imagine living 11 people in one house with one bathroom. (laughs) Things are bound about to get crazy. You know what I'm saying? But really, when God changed my life, my brother, he looked at me one time because I kept telling him I was so excited about what Jesus was doing. And my brother looked at me and he said, Joseph, if you're going to talk about God to me, don't talk to me at all. I don't even want to be your brother. I was like, oh, hold up. Rewind the tape. Did you really just say that you wouldn't be my brother? You, will, you wouldn't want to be my brother if I talked to you about God? And he was dead serious. He looked at me dead in the eye and was like, if you're going to talk to me about God, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And everything in me was like, God, are you serious? And you know what I did? I just began to cry out and intercede for my family. I be, God began to put salvation on my heart for my family. And I was like, God, if you did this in me, you can do it in every single one of my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to believe to the very end, whether they live for you until, until you know, and I, I can see it before I die or whether they don't. I'm going to trust and believe that you're going to bring salvation to my whole household. Do you know that the majority of my brothers and sisters right now are living for God? That same brother, he loves Jesus. And I remember I told him, I was like, bro, you remember you told that to me? He's like, what? He's like, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm such a jerk, man. I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I just man, dude, I just freaking love you. You know, trying to kiss me and all this junk. Like, dang, bro, it's cool. All right, I know you love me. But still, I have a brother who's in a mental hospital right now. And I've seen God do miracles, signs, and wonders. But yeah, I have a brother in a mental hospital. But God spoke to me one day when I was in college. My brother, his name is Chon, which is short for Ascension, which in Spanish is Ascension. And God said, Joseph, I destined him to reflect my resurrection power. And everything in me, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it sounds powerful, right? Yeah, that's deep. But when you see your brother in a mental hospital and you go and visit him and it's hard to have a conversation with him, it's really hard to believe that sometimes. But I stand in faith saying, God, you're the God that saves whole households. 
You're the God that saves families. You're the God that restores generations. You're the God that's reaching not just for one brother, but for all of them. Not just for one sister, but for all of them. Not just for a father, but also for a mother. Not just for a mother, but also for a grandfather and a grandmother. We have to begin to see God's heart to save families as a whole and rise up as children, sons and daughters of God who say, I'm not going to be satisfied with just one person being changed, with just me being changed. I'm believing for all of what God has. And you know that God is going to use some of you to activate your fathers and mothers, your natural and your spiritual. You know, my dad, I was, I was, you know, got married and my dad, we've been really close as we're growing up, especially when I was in high school because Mexican, right? Heck of people living in the house. I literally slept in his room on the floor on a mattress. That's how crazy it was. You know what I'm saying? But it was tight because me and my dad became like best friends. I mean, we talk at night and all that kind of stuff. I was getting ready to go to college, and he started crying one night. He's like, mm. I was like, Dad, why are you crying, Pops? He's like, me, oh, you're growing up. He's like, all my little chickens, they fly in the coop. I was, like, I was like, you're so cute, Dad. You're so cute. But I remember, you know, when I, when I got married, and I just said, man, I just need to know that my dad's proud of me. Like something inside, I just need to know that my father is proud of me. And my dad never had a father in his life that would come up to him and give him a hug. So my dad was very intentional about breaking that pattern for our family. So growing up, he used hugs. So I, I love to hug people. I'm just Mexican, and I love to hug, right? And so I'm a very affectionate person. Not only that, but I tell people I love you all the time. Man, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Say goodbye. All right, Pastor Aaron, love you, homie. All right, Pastor Christian, love you. All right, Eunice, love you. All right, Rona, love you. Is it because I'm superficial? No, it's because my dad would still instill that within me. Every time we leave the house, he'd be like, all right, mijo, I love you. Have a good day. I love you. All right, go to your baseball game. I love you. And at first, I, you know, someone looked at, someone was telling me, that, like, dude, do you realize you say that all the time? You don't have to, t- I know that you love me. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that I do that. But my father instilled it within me because he was determined to break that pattern. But it was hard for him, I think, to always be very intentional at times and tell us, man, I'm proud of you or things, but he did do it a lot. But as I grew up, there's something in me that just needed my father to tell me, you're a good husband. You're going to be a good father in the future. And I'm so proud of you, son. And I remember I called my dad on the phone and, and I said, dad, um, it's kind of awkward, right? I was like, hey, pops, um, hey, do you love me? Right? He's like, yeah, man, I can love you. And, um, I was like, cool, man, that's what's up. And, uh, I was like, Dad, are you proud of me? He's like, yeah, I mean, I'm proud of all my boys. And I was like, Dad, do you, do you think I'm a good husband? Yeah, man, you're a heck of a good husband. And I said, Dad, can you tell me that? Can you tell me right now on the phone that you're proud of me? Can you tell me that I'm a good husband? Can you tell me that I'm going to be a good father one day? And he said, yeah, son, you're a good son. And you're going to be a great father one day. And you're a good husband to your wife. What did I do? One, I activated him as a father to step into his place as a father. See, some of us, we're waiting for our parents to take the first step. Get over it. Let God use you as the son or the daughter that bridges that gap. Let you be the one to take that first step. You're waiting for them to say, I'm sorry. Get over it. Let God fill you with forgiveness and love so that way you can love on them. Maybe they never had it. Maybe they don't know how to do it. And God wants to use you to be able to do it. What happens is you begin to activate them and then they release identity in you. I begin to activate my father in his place as a father. And then he released identity. You're a good son. You're going to be a good husband. You're going to be a great father. He released identity over me. And if I would have never took that step, he may have never known to say that to me. He may have never known that I longed to hear those words. But every son and daughter does. Every son and daughter does. God is waiting for sons and daughters to step up and begin to activate other fathers and other mothers. To begin to activate even other brothers and other sisters. Even spiritual parents. God is waiting for you to come into submission to your pastors and the leaders that God's placed inside of you. Inside of your life. So that way you can activate them to walk in the authority that God has given them in the body of Christ. Are you willing and are you ready to step into the new pattern? Are you willing and are you ready to build upon the foundation that God has already laid? 
Are you willing? Are you ready to activate the generation that went before you and begin to step in your identity as sons and daughters of God? Are you ready and are you willing to go deeper than we've ever been? Are you ready to see the Jesus stuff? Do you want to see the Jesus stuff? Are you willing to allow God to bring healing in your family? Are you willing and are you ready to allow God to transform your city and your nation and the generations that are in your line? See, some of you are afraid of, well, that's a generational curse and, well, that's always been in my family. Well, you break the pattern by stepping up. You break the pattern by laying hold of faith and saying, God, it's already been done on the cross and through the resurrection. I'm going to do the greater things that you talked about, Jesus. God's looking for sons and daughters who are willing and ready to add and build the house and are willing and ready to add on to the house and the rooms that have already been built. And he wants to do it in you. He wants to do it in you. He wants to do it in you tonight. He wants to do it in you tonight. Come on, I'm trying to stir your hearts because God's going to do something in you tonight that's going to shake the nations. God's going to do something to you. See, some of you families right now, they need healing. And guess who's going to bring it? You. Far too long, we've sacrificed our families saying that we're living for Jesus. You got it twisted. The most spiritual place you should be is in your home and among your family, among your brothers and among your sisters, among your mom and among your dad. You want to see God move? Start in your house. You want to see God move powerfully? Start with your spouse if you have a spouse. Start with the sphere of influence that God has placed you in. Come on, I want to stir you up. I want you to stir you up to start where God has placed you. Are you ready for that? Do you want it? Do you want to see the Jesus stuff? Are you ready to be called Christians from the world outside, not from other believers who know you? Are you ready to be called sons and daughters of God because you look like him, because you've been conformed into the image and likeness of the son of God? And people around you cannot help but recognize it. Are you ready for that? Come on, stand to your feet with me. Stand to your feet with me. Come on, this is the last night. And I just believe some of you, especially for, for families right now, that God is just going to begin to break things in your families. I believe that God is just going to bring so much healing into families. I believe that God is going to just so radically change even your perspective of how you see your family. Some of you spiritually, God is going to stir something inside of you to release something in the leaders that he placed over your lives. The question is, are you willing and are you ready for it? Do you want it? Come on, just lift up your hands to God tonight. Just lift up your hands to God tonight. Come on, this ain't just a routine, routine thing right now. What I want you to do is just, I want you to begin to say, Father, come on, you know the areas of your life that you need God to stir these things. You know the areas of your life where you have to recognize that God's trying to conform you into his image and his likeness, but you're resisting. You know the areas of your life that you haven't fully embraced sonship to God. You haven't yet laid hold of the rights as a child of God. The areas of your life where you've allowed your faith to remain small. When Jesus said, I want you to do greater things. Come on, I want you just to open your mouth and I want you just to begin to say, God, come into those areas right now. God, come into those areas right now. Jesus, we ask that you will just begin to feel us right now. God, we ask that you would just begin to fill us. You've been doing so many powerful things already, God. Oh, God, you've just been doing so many amazing things already, God. But, Lord, we, we don't want to stop, God. We want more tonight, God. Father, we want more tonight. Some of our bodies are tired, God. Come and just refresh us right now. Let us not miss this moment, God. Some of our minds are tired and are wandering, but God, we just ask that you'll refocus them right now. Father, some of our hearts just have been heavy, and Lord, we just ask that you would begin to lift and begin to lighten them right now, Father. God, tonight, you're going to use some of these sons and daughters to build on the house, to build rooms to the house, to add rooms to your house, God. You're going to use some of them to be a sign to their families. 
You know, when I got saved, Pastor Benjamin, my spiritual father, he looked to me and said, Joseph, you're going to be a sign to your family. You're going to be a sign to your family of the salvation of God. And you know, growing up, I felt really rejected by my brothers. It's kind of like the story that Joseph in the Bible, you know. And I really felt that, you know, growing up, just the middle child, I was the freak all the time, right? And I remember, like, I was really estranged. But you know what? When God began to move in my family, you know who my brothers looked to? When there was a crisis situation, you know who my brothers would call? You know when there was things that were chaotic? You, you know who, who they asked for prayer? Even now, you know, last Sunday, my brother Jeremiah looked at me. He's just like, man, it's crazy. He's like, you're my little brother, but I look up to you. He's like, you're my little brother, but I look up to you. And he was looking at Jesus in me. That's really what he's looking up to. He's looking up, he's looking up to Jesus inside of me. And some of you, God is going to use you as a sign to your families. And they're going to look up to Jesus inside of you. You see, Joseph didn't realize in the Bible when he saw that vision and those things bowing down to him, he thought they were bowing down to him. They were really bowing down to the God that was inside of him. They weren't bowing down to Joseph. They were bowing down to the God that he served. They were bowing down to his father in heaven who gave him what he had. And some of you, God is going to make you a sign to your families and they're going to look up to the Jesus inside of you. Some of you, God's going to make you a sign to your neighborhoods. God's going to make you a sign to your distant relatives. And there's going to be a change in the pattern. They're going to, they're going to look on your, your, your family line and your family tree. And they're going to say, oh, snap. Yeah, that branch. How come it has so much fruit? That branch got a heck of fruit. All these other branches, leafless, barren. But this branch, it got a heck of fruit. We could tell God did something there. And from that, God's going to begin to spread. Come on, I want you just to reach for it tonight. I want you just to reach for it tonight. Come on, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight. It's your spirit that does the conforming work, God. The conformity of God. Father, conform us into your image. Conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. Make us look like Jesus. Make us look like Jesus. Help us to love the way that he loves. Help us to believe the way that he believes. God, some of us, help us to forgive the way that he forgave, God. Help us to walk in healing the way that he released healing, Lord. Come on, I want you just to open your mouth to God and just begin to go after him. You begin to ask him to do those things right now. You begin to ask him to do those things right now.